The riches are in the niches. You've no doubt heard that catchy, if somewhat trite saying. But here's the thing, it's true. We've conducted an annual salary survey for the past several years, and one of the questions that we ask everyone is, do you have a niche? Then we look at how much the copywriters who work in a single niche earn compared to those who don't have a niche. You don't have to be a genius to guess what we found. Those with a niche earn 96% more than copywriters without. That's almost twice as much as those who don't have a niche. Then it occurred to us that maybe the difference was caused by the fact that most beginning copywriters don't yet have a niche. They might be exploring several and trying to figure out what to land on, while experienced copywriters do have a niche. So we went back and looked at the data and nope, there's still a pretty big difference. After controlling for experience, copywriters with a niche earn roughly 30% more. I believe it was a little bit more than 30% more than copywriters without a niche. And that's at all experience levels throughout all of the data. Hi, I'm Rob Marsh, one of the founders of the Copywriter Club. And on today's episode of the Copywriter Club podcast, my co-founder Kira Hug and I interviewed copywriter Masha Koyan, who is one of the best niched copywriters that we know. We asked Masha about the 10 steps that she followed to claim her niche. We also talked about her framework and how having a framework has changed her business. And we touched on a few other interesting topics like CEO retreats, corporate marketing, and what she would do differently if she had to start over in a new niche today. As always, we think you're going to want to stick around for this episode. But first, this episode of the Copywriter Club podcast is brought to you by the Copywriter Underground. It really is the best membership for copywriters, content writers, and other marketers to just practice, get the learning, the attention that they need on their business. Let me just give you an idea of what you get for $87 a month. First, there's the monthly group coaching call where Kira and I answer your questions, talk about challenges, uh, about writing, about business, anything, literally coaching you on what you need to know. Any coaching program that you might join is going to charge you hundreds and hundreds of dollars for this every month, sometimes thousands of dollars. That's In addition to that, there's also weekly copy critiques where we give you feedback on your copy and content. There are uh, regular training sessions where we talk about different copy techniques or business practices that are really there to help you get better. We just had one of those last week. And we're adding in November a new monthly AI review where we share a new AI tool or a technique or a prompt that you can do with AI to get more done. And that's on top of the, the I think there's like 50 or 60 hours of training on everything from writing proposals to writing copy templates to help you do just about everything in your business, uh, including a legal agreement. The community is full of copywriters who are there ready and willing to answer your questions, help you with anything. Sometimes they even share leads, which is phenomenal. Uh, you can find out more about the underground at thecopywriterclub.com forward slash TCU, and we will see you inside. And with that, let's get to our interview with Masha. So I started, it all started in 2019 when I was working my dream job of a um, associate director of marketing. Um, it was everything I ever wanted. I was prior to that point, I was working for 15 years in various marketing jobs, um, you know, started as, the, as a marketing coordinator, then marketing specialist, then marketing manager for a few years, and then finally landed my dream job of an associate marketing um, director at this big corporation um, until I realized I just hated it. It's, it's no longer what I wanted to do. It wasn't as, I guess, I thought it would be. And that's when I decided to resign. I think the job became kind of all about data and numbers and not so much marketing. Um, but it was a dream job. I had, you know, a good salary. I had a team of uh, direct reports, everything that I kind of wanted over the last few years. But um, if I hated it, I realized that I wanted to start something of my own and I decided to resign. Um uh, started kind of thinking a couple of months before that, before 2019. Um, so I resigned in 2019 in February and a couple of months before that, I started thinking, well, what could I possibly be doing? Started playing with a couple of ideas. Um, thankfully, they didn't pan out because a year later, everything got shut down. And <laughs> all of my business ideas would have been shut down at that time because it was pre-COVID. Um, and realized, well, writing was always... Uh, part of all the jobs that I ever had, all 
it was part of every marketing role I've ever had. And I realized this could be it. Um, talk to my husband because at that time, you know, it was a good salary. We have three kids. I was pretty much starting from scratch, got his support um, to pretty much quit and start from scratch. And that's what I did. I, uh, I resigned in 2019 and started my copywriting business right away. Yeah, I want to ask about corporate marketing specifically. Like, what were the skills that you developed as a corporate marketer? I know it became about data and analytics and more boring, but before that, like, what were those skills that you were building that then lead you to be a more successful copywriter? Um, I think a big portion of that was liaising with different stakeholders and really trying to understand what was the goal of each of the stakeholders. Um, another thing was realizing that um, there is a process involved for everything. Um, anytime there was a project, there were different stakeholders, different deadlines involved, different process involved that you kind of had to be considerate of that whole process. Um Getting buy-in from senior stakeholders was another thing, um, but that job, those jobs, those various jobs that I uh, did hold, it was all about uh, thought leadership, developing thought leadership, what it's, uh, what it takes to bring something to market from the very beginning, from all the strategic meetings into uh, developing, hiring the right people for the job, bringing the right stakeholders into into the process, and then finally launching and doing all the launch campaigns. So lots of different things, but I feel like liaising with different stakeholders was the biggest thing and um, getting the, the buy-in uh, from uh, from senior people in the company. Yeah, and this was a large company. I mean, you didn't you didn't name it, but I know the name. Yeah, there were some big guns. Like there were Deloitte, KPMG, Pearson, Open Text. It was 15 years of, you know, I, I honestly thought I would stay there forever. I thought even though my dad was an entrepreneur and a business owner, but I thought, nope, my my thing is corporate. I'm going to continue climbing the ladder. And I kind of surprised myself in 2019. What if I could start a business at that time prior to 2019? That was not even a thing I entertained. So how do you know the difference between hating a job and needing to actually pivot as you did and going through a hard time or, you know, climbing the ladder and just maybe you're in a difficult stage, but you just have to kind of plow through it. Like, how did you work through that process? I just realized I no longer enjoyed my days. I hated, I woke, I woke up in the morning and I was no longer looking forward to going to work. And that's kind of like, this is so important for me to love what I do. Um, I know like different people have different opinions of that. My husband is like, well, the job is a job. To me, it's like, I have to love it. I have to enjoy it. Um, what are we doing it for if we're waking up and not really looking forward to seeing the people, to doing the things that you do? And I'm like, is this something that I want to continue doing? Um, and I also realized that I started working a lot of overtime and I wasn't seeing my family. And, you know, I have uh, three kids. I really wanted to spend more time with them. And I just decided, okay, I, I can try and do that. I can always get another job if it doesn't work. But to be honest with you, I kind of knew that it would work. I didn't think that it wouldn't work. I didn't think, well, I can try this. If it doesn't work, I'm going to start. I'm like, I have to make it work because this is a big switch. Like I was leaving a 100K a year salary, full benefits, three kids. I'm like, this better work. And, and it did. But I think the biggest thing was just realizing that I want to enjoy and I want to love what I do. Yeah, that's uh, that's important to love what you do. Yeah. So let's talk about that switch then. You know, as you decided, okay, I'm doing this thing. You you know got buy in from your family. What were the first steps you took to launch your business to figure out who you were serving, to figure out what you were doing to connect with clients? Yeah. So after I realized that I wanted to do copywriting, I'm not even sure if I called it copywriting back then. I think one of the first things I did was discover Copywriter Club podcast. And I'm like, okay, it is copywriting. That's definitely what I'm doing. So that was one of the first things. But immediately in the next day, I registered my business. I started working on website copy. I discovered uh, pod your podcast and I discovered... Um, 
Marie Forleo's and Laura Belgrade's copy cure program. So those two things combined, I started binging your podcast. I literally, anytime I was in the car, I was binging at that time. You guys already had over, I don't know, a hundred or two, I can't remember how many episodes, but I'm like, okay, I need to know. I need to understand what I still don't know. And there was obviously a lot. And um, I started doing those things. So I started implementing the fundamental things for my business, like the website, um, getting my email, all the admin things and registering. Um, and the third thing that I did was I reached out into the into my network and I realized that I wanted to speak with some business owners because I think from very early on, I knew that I wanted to serve B2B. Um, so I said to myself, okay, who do I know who owns their own businesses? And I reached out to three people. My goal with reaching out to those three people was strictly uh, market research. I did not want to say, I promised them um, that I'd love a meeting with you. Um, if I could have that meeting, I promise not to sell you on anything because at that time I didn't even have an offer. I didn't really have anything. I just knew I wanted to write. So I met up with those three people. Two were real estate agents. One was uh, a food retailer and two out of the three. Uh, and I, my goal was genuinely to listen to them and to understand what are their pain points? What kind of things do they struggle with when it comes to marketing? Um, what do they wish they know more of? What do they wish they had support with? Um, and I went into these meetings op with an open mind and two out of the three people hired me on the spot after those meetings. So there was a little surprising because I wasn't there to sell. I didn't even have anything to sell. But I guess because I was hearing what they were talking about, I was maybe mirroring back some of the things that they were saying. And because I did have a 15-year background in marketing. Um, and yeah, so I got hired. I got two retainer clients out of those meetings, which was great. And from there on, it just kind of snowballed. It was all word of mouth. Um, I just started getting clients from those clients from people I know within my network because I started, I guess I started showing up on social at that time too, just kind of posting about my journey. This is what I'm doing now. And people started finding out, oh, okay, so you do copywriting and what's that? And and <laughs> the the common thing that I heard is like, oh, I think that's exactly what I need. Uh, and that's, uh, that's how it started. So you, you mentioned earlier that you were climbing the corporate ladder and then, and then you decided to leave. So what do you do when you're a new business owner and you're building your business and you want to love it and you have to create your own ladder and build your own ladder? What did that look like for you in the early days? And how did you think about like, okay, this, this is next, this is next, this is how I keep going? Yeah, I think it started with taking on those first two clients, not loving all the work that I do, kind of understanding, okay, there are certain things that I love, certain things I don't love. And I actually um, experienced a burnout three months into starting my business <laughs> in April after after just starting my business. And actually that led to my first hire, uh, to my only hire, I guess, uh, a subcontractor writer to get some help with writing. But I just started asking myself what types of things I like to write about, what types of industries I like to write about. So um, I did not niche down right away. I just started kind of accepting work as it came and um, helping myself understand, okay, these are the, the projects that I no longer want to work on, like legal, medical, those are the things that I definitely did not want to write about um, and kind of identifying for myself. So continuing to experiment and saying yes to certain projects and understanding, um, okay, these are great projects. I want more, more of those projects. And then slowly, um, I think the right type of clients um, kept coming because I kept saying yes to the right type of projects. Okay, let's let's uh, go deeper on that. Um, so you did niche at first uh, and spent some time exploring, which is smart, uh, good way to do it. But then you are now like one of the most niched copywriters or one of the best niche copywriters that I know of. So how did you find the niche? How did you start connecting with those customers and, and realize, okay, this is the thing that I do best or these are the people that I want to help? 
Yeah, it's so funny, but I was thinking about it yesterday before before this podcast, and I'm like, well, it kind of happened organically, uh, but should I just put together a list and maybe see, maybe it didn't happen organically, maybe I did do, because I knew, obviously, I did do a number of things to niche down, um, and I put together a list, and it turned out I had 10 things on my list that I did do in order to niche down, so not only, I have like a double niche, I have an interior design by... Um, by industry and by service website copy. I primarily um, offer uh, my signature service website copy. I do take on other work, but I only promote and market um, uh, website copy projects. So first things first, in 2020 was my first interior design client, and that came just by chance. Uh, A friend of a friend uh, needed a website. Um, A year into my business, I wrote her website copy got paid $650 for a five-page website with three blogs. Loved it. Couldn't believe it. I was like, oh my God, this is it. I love writing about stories. I did not really have a process. I had a client questionnaire, maybe it was 10 questions long. And now looking at my website, my website is still not updated, but now looking at my website, I'm like horrified because it goes from speaking to the client to writing (laughs) like there's nothing there's no steps in between obviously I now have a process in place but the first things that I did was um I started listening to podcasts I realized that I can't just listen to copywriting podcasts I need to listen to podcasts that my ideal audience speaks on listens to and when after that first client in 2020 and I think I had the end of the 2020 I had another interior design um client, I said, okay, let's give it a try. And I kind of, in April of 2020, I just posted the very first post, like I was showing up uh, pretty, uh, pretty religiously on Instagram. But in 2020, at the, uh, in April, I said, I just claimed it. I said, I'm now an interior design copywriter, started calling myself that and became more intentional towards the end of the year. So the first things that I did was started listening to interior design podcasts. Honestly, my biggest goal was to really understand that audience a little better, what types of things they struggle with, not just marketing, but anything and everything to do with their business, pricing, serving clients, um, processes, systems, what are they lacking? What do they not understand? Where are their struggles? What do they want? How do they show up? Things like that. So that was number one. Um, Another thing that I did was I joined a bunch of Facebook groups and just started engaging with interior designers, Facebook groups for interior designers. A lot of them are kind of, um, I guess, hosted or led by either business coaches or interior designers that have like an expanded community found a couple of prominent ones and just stayed there. I was just observing kind of a fly in the wall, looking at what kind of posts are they posting? What kind of, what kind of um, struggles do they have? So same goal as listening to the podcast to better understand who they are and what they do. Um, I also set up some, I started speaking, reaching out to business coaches in the interior design communities and kind of just testing my ground. What can I offer there? Um, I slowly started posting in those groups, uh, market research questions. I got shut down right away because they were flagged as um, kind of promoting, but I I just wanted to know more of interior designers. And then um, I reached out to one of the coaches in the interior design community and we decided to do like a sponsorship partnership type of deal where I do her live um, audits for her paid program and I get visibility in exchange, basically doing some lives and um, various kind of visibility opportunities. And I don't know, a few th- a few more things like reaching out to similar service providers. So collaboration of a competition. I just wanted to reach out and I set up coffee with her, this one particular agency. And then she later referred work to me, which was great. I, um, continue to show up on Instagram, doing live audits, tagging interior designers, literally taking interior design websites, random interior design websites, doing a live audit, and then um, tagging them and kind of just for 90 seconds straight saying the things that they do well, the things that could be improved and things like that. I set up a number of bi-weekly chats with various service providers in those industries. Um, and then in December of last year, I had my very first CEO retreat 
and I put visibility goal on my list. And I said, okay, this is the year that I'm going to start really show up, pitch podcasts, um, teach, and a whole bunch of opportunities came off that, which is great. And the last thing, I developed a framework, which is now the thing that I'm becoming known for. Uh, so these are a whole bunch of steps that I took um, to kind of uh, really niche down intentionally. Yeah, there's so much I want to ask you about in there. But um, going back to niching, can you share just like pros and cons from your experience niching? Because some people would be like, oh, you just that you're niching down too far. It might be tricky to find clients. There's so many, um, what's the word? There, let's just like set it straight as far as like your experience with what worked, what didn't work, niching down. Yeah. At that time, I obviously listened to a lot of advice. What is it? Reaches and niches. And I definitely said, okay, I have to try that. This is the thing to do because uh, for a year, I was a generalist copywriter and it worked, but at the same time, it was so difficult to show up on social because there are so many things that I could be talking about. And I felt like I was just talking to no one um, and not really uh, getting attention of the right people. So niching, one of the biggest benefits of niching down was that all of a sudden you are so laser focused on what you do and who you need to speak to and what you need to, um, the topics that you um, need to speak on. Uh, so it makes marketing easier. Uh, at least in my case, it made marketing easier because all of a sudden I had like five pillars of the things that I could talk about on social media. And with experience and with years um, doing this business, I realized what you market is what you attract. So that's, that's what I did. Um, so yes, that's one of the biggest benefits is that it makes things easy in terms of marketing. Does it deter certain clients? Does it deter certain businesses? Absolutely. Do I even want in my business? Do I even want them in my business or in my life? Probably not. I do want to attract the right kind of client. I do want to work with a specific kind of group because, um, because I become so specialized and I even developed a framework and a specific process to work with those people. So in that regard, it's almost, I wouldn't say it's easier because it's never easy. It's never, never easy because every time a new interior design project comes along and I'm a little bit excited, but also panicking, how can I make this one different? Like another interior designer, Another person claiming that they make beautiful and functional things. How can I make this one different? But also exciting because there's a new story to uncover. There's a new differ differentiator to, to uncover. Sometimes they're not even sure what it is and you're helping them uncover that. So I don't know. I, I feel like I only have cons. I think the, the I guess, sorry, pro, pros. But I feel like the biggest con, I guess, is that it could get a little bit boring. It if, if you're looking at it that way, if it's going to be like, well, it's the same thing every day, but. Right. But yeah, it also, I, sorry, I was just going to say it forced you. I like the way you put it though. It forced you to really find what's unique about your clients and maybe in a way that some of us aren't forced to do it because it's really clear. It's a different type of client we haven't worked with so we can spot it, but you have to really lean into the storytelling and positioning and really specialize in your craft. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Kira might have just answered my question, but like, I, w I want to dig into that. Like, how do you differentiate when you are so deep in a niche and everybody is saying the same thing? You know, I make, you know, your living space is beautiful or, you know, we make spaces where you want to live or spend time, right? Like the messaging is so overwhelmingly the same. What's your process for figuring out the differentiation so that people do look different and can attract the right people to their businesses? I think it definitely starts with my very, very comprehensive questionnaire. That's like a, one of my clients called it like a therapy session of peeling the layers of things. So, and then this is one of the things that I picked up from you guys in Accelerator. How do you find when I was looking for my own differentiator, because it's not always so clear as like with me, for example, while I'm an, an interior design copywriter, you could look at that as a differentiator. But when you 
start to work in this industry, you realize that you're not the only copywriter for the interior design industry. And I've already like asked me that five years ago, I wouldn't have believed you that there are more copywriters serving that specific niche. But today I know a whole bunch of copywriters doing the same thing. So it's not the only differentiator that sets me apart. So same with my clients. Yes, they are interior designers. So I think I just try uh, digging a little bit deeper with my questionnaire, with the strategy session, uh, by talking to their clients through through my process. Um, things that I'm looking for is what did they do prior to becoming an interior designer? What's their path uh, looks like? What's uh, one of the my favorite things to look at is their process. The process is such an amazing differentiator. And uh, with interior design, when you look at it at a glance, it kind of all sounds the same. Every interior designer starts with a discovery call and then they put, you know, they talk to the client, then they go measure, then they do, they put together these um, kind of like schematic designs, then they procure. But then when you drill deeper and ask your client, ask my, uh, your interior designer, well, what is it about that process? What what are some of the steps that no one talks about? What are the, some of the steps that you do that maybe comes a second nature to you, but to an outsider, it could be something different. Um, like I was just doing um, a live audit for someone um, a couple of weeks ago, and I was... Um, looking at their questionnaire, the things that they put on there. And I asked her, what is your differentiator? Because first of all, I do ask them. Um, 50% of the designers don't know what their differentiator. The other 50 say that is the customer service and that they listen. <laughs> but anyway, and then we start digging a little bit deeper. And then I'm looking at this one designer and she says, well, I'm a general contractor, but also a designer. And I'm like, this is huge. Like, this is your differentiator. But she doesn't think of that herself because sometimes you need an outsider to really look at your brand and to and to pinpoint and say, hey, this is different. Even if other people have those same things in their business, not everybody talks about and their clients might not know about things. So when I'm looking for that thing that sets them apart, I look at their you know, path, their story. I look at everything they've done prior to this point. I look at how they serve their clients. I look at, I drill down into their process. Um, yeah, a whole bunch of things. Because a differentiator could be absolutely anything. It doesn't have to be one thing. Yeah, and that's a good reminder for all of us copywriters, content writers too, just that we all kind of think we have the same process. And most of it is similar, but there's mm -hmm. always like that little piece that's slightly different or you just bring a different perspective to it or you have different background or experience. You do it a little bit differently. And like, that's what we have to get at as practitioners and writers. And so we can stand out. So it sounds like you're just doing, you're doing what we all need to do for ourselves. Um, and I want to just lean into what you shared already that you've used frameworks to kind of up level and climb the ladder in your business. And we've worked with you during that time in the think tank as you were building your framework. Um, can you speak to not just like what the framework is? I think we can get to what the framework is. I'm more interested in what was the experience like for you as someone who's a self-proclaimed perfectionist building a framework and putting that together? It's not easy. So how did you do it? It was agonizing. It was an agonizing experience putting together a framework, but I was part of a think tank. And I think I procrastinated for like six months. When I met with you guys in my first month of think tank and realized, okay, one of the first things that I need to do being part of this community is to create a framework. And there, here are the trainings that you need to watch. Go and create one. I watched the training and I just sat there as like, I have no framework. I think in my mind, I made it such a big thing. I thought that framework has to be this absolutely unique thing, never heard of, never done before, very, very you. Um, so in my mind, I made it a lot bigger, a lot more intimidating. That's why for six months straight, I was like, I don't have one. I'm just going to watch what others are doing. Maybe I, um, maybe I come across an idea or, or something. So I wasn't doing anything. I was just sitting there and thinking for six months straight. And then um, after procrastinating for six months, I'm like, okay, let's, let's just sit down and, and think about what it could be. Um, it doesn't have to be one thing. Uh, it could be many other things. So that was my starting point. Um, 
it could be anything. So I sat down and I literally wrote down um, my entire process uh, of how I work with clients uh, on website copy. And it it looked quite generic because like you said, Kira, you know, every copywriter probably has a very similar process. We all do research and discovery. We all do, most of us do voice of customer research. Most of us do competitive analysis, um, all those things. And I'm like, what's different about it? How can I make it different? So then I took the steps uh, of my website copy project and then I broke it down even further. So every step I broke it down, I broke down into sub steps and then I broke it down into what value I get out of every step? What do my customers, how do they benefit from every step? What's the outcome of every step? So slowly, slowly, 13 pages later, I swear I have 13 pages. I was looking over. I was like, I need to find the notes. So I looked up the notes. I have 13 pages of just going through my process and dissecting it and dissecting it. Um, And then at one point it started shaping up into something um, and to process that I could call my own. And I decided to find a name I, I went through like a hundred different names um to call it that to 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 find the right acronym finally found that so it was agonizing but um but at the end it worked out and I made it my own and the things that I did I played around with certain steps because what I didn't realize at first that I said if this is my framework I can make it whatever it, whatever I want, I can play around with certain step. I can make the first step, the fifth step, the fifth step, the first step. So I, I made it into my own thing. I took my process, dissected it, broke it down into a hundred different pieces and put it together. Okay, Masha, step us through your framework, uh, sure. step by step. Like, what does it look like? And I mean, like, sell us like you would sell a, a client. You know, like if you're walking your client through, I want to hear how you talk through the process. Sounds good. So my framework is called Reveal. It's kind of a play on words for interior designers for the big day when they reveal the design to their clients. Um, all the work it takes to put together a beautiful design. Same with my website copy, all the work that goes into it. It's a six-step process for producing strategic uh, website copy rooted in audience research. Audience research is the biggest uh, is the biggest um, and most important um, element of my process. So the first step, R stands for research and discovery, and that's when I'm learning about your brand, about the history. I'm trying um, to help you find out what is your differentiator. I'm looking over pretty much everything that has to do with your audience and with your business. That's research and discovery. The second step is extracting key messaging. So E is for extracting key messaging. And I'm looking at your marketing assets, everything that you currently have, your website, your existing website, your social media, um, and message mining. And I'm also trying in the step, I'm also trying to capture your voice. Um, The third step, V is for voice of customer, and that's client interviews. That's the biggest, my favorite step in the process. That's where I have five interviews with five of your uh, clients and um, basically trying to get what their experience is like of working with you. E is for evaluate competition, and that's essentially competitive analysis, Um, looking at three of your competitors and trying to understand what are the gaps, what are the opportunities, how do they position themselves, how can we make you uh, look and sound different. Um, A is for architecture of content, and that's basically an outline of the website copy, and that's probably one of my client's favorite steps. And this is actually a borrowed step from another copywriter that I met in Think Tank, because she always talked about uh, a website outline prior to creating a website. I absolutely love that. This was like a game changer for me, because it kind of minimizes or even eliminates risk. So the client is not surprised at the end with website copy because prior to writing even a word of copy, you put together a strategic outline that pretty much shows all the messaging that would go on every page. And then um, once the client approves it, we go into the last step. L, L is for language and launch. And that's when I launch your beautiful new website copy rooted in audience insights. Okay, such a great name. Uh, love it. And talk to us about how you use it now that you have it. Um, and maybe even just ways that you're not using it yet, but ideas you've explored. Um, all the yeah. 
So it is part of my every discovery call. I pull it up on the screen. 90% of the time I pull it up on the screen. Other times I simply talk to it. Um, I definitely include it in every sales conversation. Every time I'm talking to a prospect, I pull it up. And this is the thing that sells me uh, the most because I am basically articulating to a client that I'm not just writing uh, you know, about your brand. I'm, I have a process in place. It's a professional, it's a strategic process. Um, other ways I use it, I kind of dissect it, I break it down and talk about different steps in my social media. So on my Instagram, I'm only, I show up on um, Instagram mostly. That's where, that's where I live. And uh, yeah, I break it down. I talk about different steps at different times. Uh, so not necessarily promoting it, but talking about my process and showing the work that goes into putting together a strategic website copy. These are the two ways I think I use it the most. I think the third way I've done it is when I teach a workshop and I just recently started doing various workshops and podcasts, <clears throat> and I definitely talk about it there um, as well. So Masha, what has the impact been on your business before framework and after framework? Huge. I, 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 I wouldn't have any numbers to back it up with, but I feel like I started attracting more serious, better clients once I started talking about my framework, once I put it into words, rather than just saying I have a process, simply tweaking your messaging, the way you kind of show up and saying, hey, I have a signature or strategic framework. It just positions you so differently. It all of a sudden positions you as a legitimate professional um, copywriting business, um, more intentional. It, it shows to my clients that I've put in work um, uh, trying to understand what do my ideal clients want and what, uh, what it takes to put together um, a strategic website copy. All right. So... You mentioned your CEO retreat, which, you know, I'm a fan of CEO retreats. Uh, love that. And that you came up with the goal of focusing on visibility. And so can you just talk a little bit about like that process going from the idea to, okay, I'm, I have a plan. I'm going to put this into action. You know, how long did that take you or some obstacles along the way? Yeah, this was my first time uh, doing a CEO retreat. I loved it. It was three days just um, at the cottage with a bunch of notes, with a bunch of post-it notes and highlighters and just throwing ideas and brainstorming in terms of what do I want to do for the next year? What, um, what are some of the bigger goals that I want to accomplish? So when I put visibility on the board, I said, okay, it's what would it take me to get my visibility goal? And I can't remember how many, um, what exactly it entailed. I knew that I wanted to start showing up um, on podcasts, start teaching workshops, start showing up on lives on Instagram. And I put together a plan. I didn't really stick to a plan exactly, uh, meaning I had like three month goals, but I just knew that if I don't start actually doing something and just continue talking about visibility, it's not going to happen. So I think once I came back from my CEO retreat, I just put together a list of all the podcasts, all the places where I wanted to show up and slowly started applying. And I think I was mostly afraid of um, doing that first one. Even applying was so um, was so scary to me. But once I did the first one, um, it just became easier, just became a habit. So visibility was the big goal that came out of the CEO retreat. But what else were you thinking about as you sat down and think about your business? Like, you know, help us think through how you spent that three days and the other outcomes that came from it. Yeah. Looking at numbers was another thing. I broke down my year in terms of what do I need to reach that, you know, a financial goal at the end of the year? Do I need to increase my prices? Do I need to bring in more clients? If so, how many? 
what's that time allotment? How much free time do I want to have to spend with my family? How much time off do I want to have? I looked at other projects and initiatives that I wanted to uh, to work on, um, things like revamping my website, which still hasn't happened, but it's not the end of the year, so there's still hope. Uh, there's things like... Um, digital product that I want to create. Uh, but it was mostly looking at looking at the types of clients that I want to attract and what it takes to get access to them, what it takes to get in their um, kind of viewpoint, well, not viewpoint, what it takes to get um, into a place where I'm visible to them um, and that's these are the things that I looked at the most. I tried not to. The biggest thing is while the brainstorming was fun and there are all kinds of things that I wanted to explore, I tried not to have way too many things that they could overwhelm me. I wanted to have just a couple of areas that I wanted to focus on for 2023. And and that's what I did. Disability being the biggest one. And I just went all in and started started doing that. That's just proves that when you have too many goals, um, not everything is going to get accomplished, but when you have like two major ones, there are more chances that you will get somewhere with uh, with one or two. And maybe, you know, you've been talking about this throughout this conversation because you've been talking about visibility and frameworks and your process. And I'm just wondering how you gained access to those clients, because I know we had talked about you were doing well in your niche, um, but you were ready to kind of like up level your clientele and reach that next level client. And so what did you do to get access to them? Is it just the visibility started to click or like what specifically did you do to land in that next level where you could, you could ultimately charge more because they can afford more? Yeah, that's a great question. I think what I started with was put together maybe five or 10, I can't remember how many exactly, five or 10 subjects that I can easily speak to that could be my thing, that could be my topics that I could get known for. So I put together that list and started applying with those um, with those kind of topics um, to different podcasts, to different workshops. I started pitching myself to speak um, and, and teach different workshops. After the workshops, that's after the workshops. That's when I started seeing certain clients, certain kind of clients reach out. Um, the thing that I find interesting is that certain workshops I find attract DIY crowd because if they're workshops and they see a service provider teaching something, they attract um, they attract more of a DIY crowd. But sometimes, every now and then, there comes a client that just needs to see that you know your stuff and they want it done. They want it handled for them. So I think um, I'm not sure if teaching workshops is the right approach to attract a higher end client, but it certainly opened the doors for me because as I started posting about those things on my um, social media, on my Instagram, I started getting noticed by um, other clients that may have Maybe they didn't see me on that particular workshop, but just seeing that I'm teaching and I'm showing up, that's kind of flagged that, okay, this could be someone that I want to stay in touch with or continue observing. So Masha, this might be a strange question, uh, but it, let's say that tomorrow um, the powers that be, whatever, decide you cannot write another word for an interior design client. You got to start over. What would you do differently or would you do anything differently in choosing a different niche to get to where you've gotten faster? Uh, how would you invest in yourself? How would you spend your time? What would you do? I like that question. I think I would join some type of mastermind, some type of community because communities like Think Tank and other groups that I'm part of always open the doors to different connections and different opportunities. That's what I would do. I would do it er sooner rather than later because, you know, in the last five years that I've been, four and a half years that I've been in my business in the beginning, I was like, nope, not ready for that yet. Not ready for that yet. I wish I would have said yes sooner and joined those communities in the beginning. Um, so that that's what I would do differently. The second thing, I feel like I would... Um, 
not be afraid to reach out to people and like set up virtual chats. And what I did with those initial three clients, three uh, friends in my network, just to kind of learn about what they do about their struggles, because people and business owners, they love to talk about what they struggle with. They love to talk about their business. They love to talk about themselves. And, you know, those three meetings, you know, two, two out of them landed me an opportunity, uh, a retainer client. So I think I would put myself out there, speak with different, different people, different industries. I think I would experiment with more industries um, because there's, you know, there are more lucrative niches out there uh, that I did not, um, that I did not uh, even try, like launch copy. That's a completely unknown territory for me. And I wish I would have tried that sooner in my business. I've never written a sales page in my, in my life. Um, I wish I would have tried those things. Or maybe, you know, if it does, <laughs> if it does come to this, this is something that I would try. I would try to experiment with different types of writing, different types of niches and different, different people and just be there to kind of learn and observe. But I would put myself out there and not be afraid. So this is, you know, slightly a self-serving question about Think Tank. You mentioned a couple of times. And you also mentioned that you would join a mastermind earlier in your career. So um, I guess it's like a two-part question. What specifically did you get out of your experience in the mastermind? And then um, what would you recommend to people who do join small communities or intimate communities, or maybe just any community so that they get the most out of it? Because you did show up, you built relationships, but there are definitely people who join different groups. I mean, I've been one of those people where you join it and then you don't really get as much out of it. Yeah. Um, well, community, and I and I said that before, community is a number number one thing that I took away from from my experience with Think Tank. I got to know people and how they work. Like it's such an incredible opportunity when you get into uh, into a group and you literally are exposed to, I don't know, 10, 20, 30 people and how they operate in their business, what they struggle with, what are their successes, how do they do things, what's how do they come up with new things. I watched new service offers develop like right before my eyes, which is incredible to see how it's done because I think prior to joining Think Tank and communities of that nature, I thought, well, I wasn't sure how do service offers are born, like how a service offer is born or how new new things and new ideas show up, how a digital product is born. And inside inside those intimate communities, you actually watch how it you actually watch how they're born. You actually watch the brainstorming uh, sessions. You get support from both of you guys and uh, the members within the community. So that's that's my biggest thing. And number two, what was your number two question? Uh, what would you recommend to people who are part of a group or interested in becoming a part of a group so, so they can get the most out of it? show up and participate. I've also been part of communities where I would join a program or or a group and I would just observe thinking that it's still good. I'm still um, finding value. You're not really until you're fully participating 100% showing up. And I made a commitment, um, you know, at that time to show up. And I think Proud to say, I feel like I showed up to like 97% of the calls <laughs> um, uh, on, on our Tuesday calls. So showing up is the number one thing and also doing the work. I think a lot of times, like this was my mistake with copy school. When I joined copy school, I just like, I would watch the trainings. I would watch those things and I would park it and say, yep, I'll get to it when I get to it. When you're actually doing the things that um, you're learning, it's, it's the only way uh, that things actually um, come to fruition. So, Masha, when we first started talking, you talked about, you know, the corporate job, is lots of overtime, you know, is intruding on your life. So, like, we saw the before, like, what's the after? You know, what has the result of starting a copywriting business and, and growing it the way you have, what's the result been for your personal time, for your relationships, for, you know, all the other stuff that you wanted to build time that you were talking about in your CEO retreat? 
what's the after look like? Or or maybe it's not the after yet. Maybe it's still the middle. But what is the yeah, middle? It's still the middle. <laughs> it's definitely still the middle. And there's highs and lows and there's different seasons of life and work. But um but this works for me so much better than back in my corporate job. I do have the luxury of saying yes, being very selective to uh, w- with clients, taking on the work that I love. I Not to say that I don't take any work that I don't love. I still do take on certain projects, but, I, but I'm a lot more selective uh, with taking on projects that I actually love or feel passionate about. Um, I do have certain flexibility of time, but I also... I made a commitment when I started my own business that I will treat it. And I don't know, maybe it's counterintuitive, but I made a commitment commitment to say that I said, I'm going to treat this as a nine to five. And I think for the most part, that's how I treated it. It's maybe it's not nine to five, it's nine to three when my kids get from school, but that's the commitment I made. And I do, I'm very diligent with those hours. I don't do anything outside of it. I don't do laundry. I don't do cooking, you know, we still do takeouts because I treat it as my working time. And, you know, my door is closed to my office and I'm here. So I am very diligent, but I do have flexibility with time if I do, you know, need to run out to appointments or if I do need to take a day off or just take a breather, I'm able to do that as long as everything is taken care of and, you know, no looming deadlines. Um, this definitely works. And I think, I think it's getting better. It's definitely not perfect. I, it's, it's not what I thought it would be owning my own business. Like the burnout that I had in April, like three months after starting my business, I just realized, oh my God, this is like worse. This is like working nonstop, no boundaries. I think when you start implementing boundaries, when you start deciding for yourself, well, how do I want this business to look like? What kind of time do I want off? How do I want to um, spend my time? This is your business. Like, how do you want it? And you start slowly crafting it. It's not perfect, like I said, but slowly you start doing the things or creating, creating a framework. Oh my God, I can't believe I'm using this word, but creating a framework around your business and how you want to work and live. That'll be, that'll be your next framework. The Seriously. Entrepreneur <laughs> framework, to making it work. Yeah. Uh, okay. So as we wrap, um, what is, you know, what's next for you as far as like, are you launching anything, anything you want our community to be aware of or check out? I think a couple of things that I am starting to think about is I want to expand my service offer. So I have the signature uh, website copy offer. I want to continue building it up and expanding, um, creating a lot more value for my clients, adding a little bit to it. Like for example, I have this six step process. Um, The only deliverable from the six step framework is the website copy. But there are so many other things that I do within these six steps. And I want, I'm starting to think that I want to package certain things and deliver to clients. And I just experimented with delivering voice of customer data to one of my clients. She absolutely loved it. So I think something, something is there for me to think about in terms of what else can I make a deliverable um, out of it and maybe package it, increase my pricing, or maybe uh, break it out and kind of do it as separate service offers. Like about pages are huge for interior designers. They always struggle with those. That could be like a whole separate service on on its own. So I'm starting to think about what else can I do with uh, a website copy. Another thing that I'm focusing on is learning more about UX. I just started, um, I just enrolled in training with Susan Reoc, um, kind of learning about um, UX. So I want to know more about the user experience. So I want to, dare I say, like niche even more (laughs) into website copy for interior designers and kind of just learn the hell out of it, like all the little nuggets and elements within um, website copy and what works, what doesn't. So I'm continuing to kind of learn and, um, and, um, you know, take on different programs to learn more about it. And digital product is kind of in the making, but it's still, still far away. <laughs> At some point, we're going to have an award ceremony in person, and you're going to win the award for the niche, nichiest, nichiest, the nichiest niche. 
<laughs> of all, you'll be the most niche down. It'll be amazing. We'll have a big trophy. I love it. Before we ask you where people can find you online, Masha, I just want to square the circle. You mentioned earlier, like your your first couple of assignments, the websites you were doing and blog posts for like $350 or whatever. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you're not charging that now. Give us a sense of what projects look like, you know, like where where are you today uh, so that you know anybody who's listening can see, oh, yeah, I can see what the path is and I can see why I want to follow the path all the way to the end. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it started with 650. I think this was only one project that I did it for this low. Uh, and it was probably like a two, three week process. Now it's looking more like a seven to eight week process. And I'm charging $5,000 for a five page website. And um, that's what that's what I do now. Obviously, I create custom packages for, you know, more pages or less pages. I try not to do less pages. And I try to um, articulate to my clients that just because you want less pages, the process is still the same. So I'm trying not to go lower than that. But that's where I'm at right now. Nice. Exciting. All right. Um, well, now just share, yeah, share where we can go to connect with you. Um, jump on your list, all the things. Yes, I do not have a list, so nowhere to jump, but I will have it, I promise. By New Year's, I have like this post-it note with three things that I need to uh, complete before end of the year. But Content Vertical is my website. It is definitely due for an upgrade, so I am planning to revamp it by, by end of the year. But Instagram is where you can find me, masha.copywriter. That's where I'm at. I'm there every day. This is, this is the place to find me. Nice. We are so lucky that we were able to work with you and the Copywriter Accelerator and then the Think Tank and you did show up. And so you were a member who was just there every week. Um, so it was so fun getting to know you better and working with you. And, and we miss you, but this was a nice little taste of hanging out with you. So thanks for doing this. Thank you so much. The Think Tank definitely was a game changer for my business and I'm so happy. And honestly, this podcast, it was on my list. It was the last on my list, but it was like, because I said, no, I'm not ready to pitch Copywriter Club yet. And I just, honestly, it's like a full circle. I can't believe I'm uh, speaking to you guys here today. Check mark earned. Thanks for being here, Masha. (laughs) Amazing. Thanks, guys. That's the end of our interview with Masha Koyan. I want to add just a couple of thoughts to our, about our conversation, just to give you a little bit more to think about, maybe just recap some of the stuff that we talked about. So I, I really, really liked what Masha shared about her thinking around niching, that, that she was originally thinking that it was organic, that it just would happen. But then as she started to think through it, there were those 10 things that led to finding her niche. And it wasn't necessarily by chance, but it was by leaning into doing different things. And so, you know, she, she started in the niche by finding a client by chance. So that part, that first client was a little bit random, but then she started learning about the industry by listening to podcasts, by, um, you know, investigating other people in the industry, the things that they were talking about, joining some Facebook groups. She, her goal was to better understand that industry so that she could serve them. And then as she moved into it even farther, you know, figuring out pricing systems, how to serve clients, the struggles that they had, how to show up for them whether that was in Facebook groups or elsewhere, she started writing about and for the niche, claiming that title, the interior design copywriter and really owning to it, stepping into it. That's a a really big part of owning a niche when you move into it. And then starting to make those connections by reaching out to leaders in the industry and forming those relationships that start to pay out when people are looking for copywriters or looking for help with websites, that kind of stuff. And being seen again as that expert in the space and then finally you know doing things like live audits and and sharing what she knows about interior design websites and tagging people in them like all of that stuff is so so smart the steps that she took through it uh it's been a long time since we talked to her but our interview with nikita morell she did some very similar things when she moved into the architect niche and so you might want to go back and check out that Uh, that episode. I don't have that number in front of me, Um, but it's also a a really good one about niching, choosing a niche and how to lean into it. 
I also want to just touch on the idea of the CEO retreat. So we recently talked with Steph Travato uh, earlier this year, that's episode number 329, about CEO retreats and the things that you do on those retreats in order to you know make plans for your business, review what's been going on, the kinds of products that you might want to add, the kinds of clients that you might want to start working with, how should you change your pricing, how do, what do you want to do as far as visibility goes. There's all these things that you can sit down with a notebook, brainstorm and figure out and taking a day or two to you know go offsite, leave your house, leave your office, leave wherever it is that you normally work where people can you know, show up, bother you, turn off the email and sit down with a notebook and just brainstorm. Just treat your business as you would if you were the CEO. You are the CEO of your business, but thinking about how do you allocate resources? How do you build the things that you want to build? What is next for you? A really smart approach to uh, owning your business and not just showing up as somebody who takes orders from clients. You definitely want to check out uh, that podcast episode with Steph. That she also wrote an article for our blog about what she did on her CEO retreats and how she grew her business to uh, over $300,000 a year writing content. So check that out. But it pairs very well with what Masha was sharing in this episode. When it comes to social media, and we, we've talked with a couple of copywriters recently who have given us some really good strategies, especially for LinkedIn, uh, but also finding clients on Facebook and Facebook groups. But I love that Masha mentioned the laser focus on five content pillars, and that's it. She's not talking about 30 different things. She chose five things to focus in on, and there are so many different ways that you can approach those five pillars, so many different hooks that you can apply to those same five things that it really helps you generate almost an endless list of the kinds of content that uh, you can be writing about it. We, we did a training. I, I mentioned the Copywriter Underground earlier. Uh, one of the trainings that's available in the Underground is how you do that, how you take the few things that you want to talk about with your niche and you combine it and you literally come up with millions of different approaches. Uh, I believe the number that we came up with on that training was over 5 million different things that you can do with your content. Um, and that's available in the Copywriter Underground. But literally, that's what Masha's doing. She's got these five things, and then she just looks at it and presents it uh, in different frames with different hooks from different approaches, and it works for her, and it has built her social media dramatically over the last year. And then I, I don't want to leave this interview without touching on differentiation. Masha mentioned that uh, you can't solely differentiate based on the industry. Obviously, if you choose an industry like, you know, say coaches or SaaS, you are not the only copywriter who is doing that. There are hundreds, maybe even thousands who are also working with others in that industry. And so you need to combine that niche or that industry with other things. And this is something that we talk about in the Copywriter Accelerator in depth. Uh, we've taught trainings on it, but you know, you need to combine that with the kind of work that you do. Are you writing websites? Are you writing sales pages? Do you do emails? Are you writing blog posts, case studies, white papers? Like what? maybe some combination of those things. Combine that with the problem that you solve. And there really are uh, you know, several kinds of problems. There are retention problems. There's lead generation or acquisition problems um, that, that you can help with. Um, so many different ways to look at the problems that you solve. And you probably don't solve all of the business problems that your clients have. Uh, there's the voice that you write in. There's the kind of client you work with. And I'm not just talking about the niche, but like the size. Are you, do you work with mom and pops? Do you work with enterprise levels? Do you work with SMBs? Or maybe they're in a stage of business. You work with businesses who are, you know, in in that launch stage, you know, zero to ten employees. Or maybe you're in the growth stage where, you know, most of your clients have twenty five to fifty employees. And because you are familiar with that kind of business, you can really lock in and help solve a problem for them. Uh, or, or maybe it's the service that you provide. Or if you're really thinking this through, it's all of these things combined. That's what differentiates you and makes you stand out and also makes you superior to the others who are serving that same industry that you serve. It takes all of it and you need to think through all of it. Like I said, we talk really in depth about this in the Copywriter Accelerator. Uh, you can look into that program, which should be open again sometime next year. And then finally, let me just mention, I, I love Masha's path, right? She talked about how she listened to the podcast she and really dove in, listened to as many episodes as she could, learning as much as she could. And then she joined 
our programs, the underground, the accelerator to start building that business and then jumped into the think tank where she was able to start scaling. And today she has the luxury to work as she wants. That path works. It's been proven over and over and over again. And if you want the same kind of success that Masha has built in her business over the last two or three years, that path will work for you too. So uh, just you know, investigate, look into things like the underground, the accelerator, the think tank, wherever you are in your business uh, can help you grow. We want to thank Masha for joining us to chat about her business. The best way to connect with Masha, as she said, is on Instagram at Masha.copywriter. That's her call sign handle, however you want to say it on Instagram. She's also on LinkedIn, so you can check her out there. Just search for Masha Coyen. We're looking forward to the launch of her email that she talked about, her email list, so we can keep up with her on a regular basis. So be sure to check that out. And you know what else you should check out? You should check out the Copywriter Underground. Go to thecopywriterclub.com forward slash TCU to join the best community for copywriters who want to get better. All the resources that I talked about at the top of this interview are there. It's an amazing value. Uh, I guarantee you won't find more resources at a better price anywhere. And that's the end of this episode of the Copywriter Club podcast. The intro music was composed by copywriter and songwriter Addison Rice. The outro was composed by copywriter and songwriter David Muntner. If you enjoyed what you've heard, please visit Apple Podcasts to leave your review of the show. You can also leave a review on Stitcher or wherever else you listen to your podcasts. And don't miss our other podcast at AIforcreativeentrepreneurs.com. Of course, that's available on YouTube or wherever else you listen to your podcast. Check that out. Lots of good stuff happening in the world of AI that impacts us as copywriters. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. Copywriters coming together to help the world write better. Copy and make more money. Kira and Rob's Copywriters Club can make you lots of money. Listen to the Kira and Rob. So